would anybody mind if I use the stool? I just have always wanted to be as tall as Jeremiah. So, no? All right, that's cool. The air is just much different down here. I'd like to draw your attention to the insert uh, in the bulletin, which um, might serve as something of a guide through tonight's message. But also, I like to put the passages on there for the simple reason that there's just never enough time to deal with the passages in the depth that we'd like, or at least some of us would, would like. Uh, the Bible is a book like no other. It is endlessly compelling uh, full of, of nuance and subtlety, and the more you look at things and examine them, the more you understand the heart of God and you see how he's embedded things in his word. So I print those scripture references on the insert in the bulletin for your reflection later. It's deliberately a half-sized sheet of paper. You just go ahead and stick that right in your Bible, and if you'd like to consider some of these passages further, uh, I would encourage you to do that. Also, the artwork was brought to you by one of our very own. I didn't ask her beforehand if I could publicly acknowledge that she had done the work, but Rebecca did the background art for the, uh, for the insert tonight, so we thank her for that. Uh, so before we turn to the Lord's word, let's turn to him in prayer. Let's pray together. God, we're grateful for all that you've made. We're grateful for our existence, grateful that you call us into relationship with yourself, uh, that throughout our history, as we uh, have continually ruined uh, ourselves, ruined the earth, you have always drawn us into relationship with yourself, always promised redemption, and we thank you for the opportunity tonight to worship you for that. I pray that as uh, we consider your word briefly tonight, that you would give us insight, uh, not just into your word, but into your character. As we think about Advent, as we think about who you are, uh, we want to, uh, to see that clearly and to see how that impacts how we live. Uh, we thank you again for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So... I'm not clicking. I'm just going to let it happen. There's a circle moving. Oh, slide change error. I nailed it. I was joking with Andreas beforehand because the thing goes to sleep. And there's a tendency in my household that if something's slow, we just keep clicking it. And that will make it go faster. So I told him I would, I would keep my hands off the device. But let's give it up for Andreas while he's up here. <laughs> Kapow. All right, look at that. All right, thank you, Andres. So I've uh, adopted the title uh, or the, a line from the title, uh, the hymn titled, O Little Town of Bethlehem. And as I've reflected on Advent, reflected on, on the Christmas event for myself, I think that this line really captures it. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. And what this hymn captures beautifully is both the grandness 
just the infinite scope of what God has done, but also the smallness of it. And I think that that's uh, something that we sometimes overlook. Even as we read the texts themselves, not everybody recognizes Jesus' birth. So the names that confuse us, the names that we often skip over, the Augustus, the Quirinius, those are actually important names. Augustus was Caesar at the time. He commands the census that brings Mary and Joseph uh, home, as it were. But Augustus isn't sitting on his throne waiting to hear news of Jesus' birth. He doesn't recognize it. And it seems to me uh, that the significance of the birth is lost on just about everyone as the Gospels relay the story. And you want to ask yourself why that is. Uh, Why does it seem as though God wants to just bury this event such that nobody seems to recognize it? And worse, the people who do recognize it are a pack of nobodies. They're not the varsity team. You would want Augustus there. You would want Quirinius. You want these powerful people here. But the way that God does things is, is often quite confusing. Yet at the same time, the whole host of heaven, as they are gathered, they recognize the magnificence of what God has done. And our own day is not different. Uh, Pastor Fred has been talking about Advent over the last couple weeks. Uh, This past Sunday, he was talking about the scurried distractedness of the season, uh, where everybody's running back and forth, trying to find just that perfect gift. Uh, I imagine South Willow Street was was quite busy this morning, and we scurry to get ourselves here dressed in our our finest, Uh, but we are in that kind of distracted uh, mode, and as that happens, the moment slips by. There's this subtle little whisper of God, and in all of our scurried distractedness, we forget. Uh, We let it slip. We let it slip away from us, and that's what I want to focus on for a couple minutes tonight. The hopes and fears of all the years converge on one person at one place at one time. And my, one of my purposes tonight is to communicate that God is relevant to all of our circumstances because of the way that he chooses to act. So when we think about Christmas, we start with the pristine vision So we've got, everybody here looks nice. There's a lot of red out there in the crowd. Everybody's looking good. Everybody's showered today. And we have this pristine vision of the holiday. If your house is anything like my house, the last couple weeks have been a massive effort to do what? Clean. We're cleaning. We're trying to find those perfect gifts. It's just a a flurry of activity. And we have this pristine vision. We get Christmas cards in the mail, which report out on all the best that the year has had to offer, right? Johnny got into college, which is wonderful. And, and Janie, because Johnny always seems to do everything well, Janie got a D1 scholarship to UConn to play soccer, and that's great. And you don't tell the story of the, the redheaded younger brother who ended up somewhere else, uh, but his events were fine too. Uh, we, we tell these events, we have this pristine vision of, of the holiday, even in our Christmas cards. So I put a couple. We always have this vision of the holiday. So the star over Jesus 
is like the bat signal in reverse showing and you if you allow yourself to enter into the story just picture Mary like kind of shielding baby Jesus's eyes and then you can think about well he's the creator of everything like could she tell him to you know turn the star down a little bit but it's guiding the uh the shepherds to to the event um so we have this this provision here here's another one the glowing star we we sanitize all that happened we make it this pristine vision our holiday call beautiful and that's wonderful right but i think that maybe sometimes we carry those that that pretense into our religious lives we think we have to hide who we are from god we have to pretend that god couldn't possibly understand what my family dynamics are like god couldn't possibly understand my circumstances and I think that that's the mistake that we make. And what the Bible offers is not the pristine vision. Um, it offers what I call the sober reality. And I think that it's fair to say that Jesus enters the mess of history. And I'm just going to share a couple quick uh, insights from the Gospels to show that, that this is not the pristine vision we have of the holiday. And it's not to go all dark or all negative. The point is... That God is big enough to take account of all of our circumstances. God is relevant to every single thing that we do because he hasn't hidden himself from any human experience. He doesn't hide. He takes those things on and God understands the world that his son is being born into. Um, And it just shows, at least from my perspective, uh, that God is concerned with all of it. So the first, and these are all familiar stories, you have Zechariah and Elizabeth. And I won't read the passage to you. Many of you are probably familiar with it. Zechariah is a priest. He's married to Elizabeth. They are described as righteous. They are blameless before the Lord. They're just a wonderful, godly example. But they have no children. So instantly in your mind, who do you think of in the Bible? A couple that has no children. You think of Abraham and Sarah, that's right. So, through no fault of their own, they're described as righteous, they're described as blameless, uh, but they are unable to have children. And again, you know the story, Zechariah is serving the temple, and he has this vision of an angel. And Zechariah does exactly the thing you're supposed to do. Uh, well, how, what will be the sign that this thing will happen? He's told not only that he will have a son, but his son will probably be one of the most important people in the tree. And he doesn't believe it. It is too good to be true. So Zechariah says, well, how will I know this will be the case? And God benches him. You know what? You're going to be quiet until the child is born. Now, we read that story and we read it, we think because we read it in two minutes that it happened in two minutes. Um, Given to understand that pregnancies take nine months and that that's a long time to go without talking. Anyone can try that for ten minutes. It's brutal. Just imagine having your face ground into that every time he asks Elizabeth to pass the potatoes. Oh, no, you don't get to talk. And he's got to call to mind his failure every single time. Right? For nine months, imagine that you don't get to talk until September. Some of you are smiling and nodding. I see a few elbows going. Uh, wouldn't, wouldn't it be great if your spouse was judged in the same way? Yet, at the same time, uh, I think that it's good to know that Zechariah gets benched by God. 
and he has to bear the brunt of that the whole time. But the story ends well. As John the Baptist is born, they're trying to name the child, and Zechariah is insistent that this child's name will be John. And as soon as he is allowed to open his mouth, he prophesies and he praises God. His first words, uh, as it were, he gets to praise God. And take Elizabeth as another example. It's a beautiful story. And we all know people in these circumstances. Uh, we have a friend of Cynthia's who, um, you know, for years they, they couldn't have children. And Elizabeth expresses that. God has taken away my shame in the eyes of mankind. Because you know the story. It, well-meaning people come up alongside, well, and they offer the religious version of advice. Forgetting that Romans 12 says that we rejoice with those who rejoice, we mourn with those who mourn. We, we, well, if you just had more faith. Just imagine all the digs that Elizabeth has to take over the course of... That's why I think Luke is so quick to on their righteousness. So you have Zechariah and Elizabeth. They're not important, but they're in a symbolized in Luke's God because of this story. Do you think that God can't enter into those circumstances? Take another well-known story. Mary. Mary is the opposite of Zechariah. She actually responds favorably. And even my seven-year-old recognizes the priest should have responded well, and the teenager might be excused if she didn't respond in faith. But again, if we enter into the story, you imagine a teenager who says that, uh, I'm pregnant, yet I'm not married, but it's the Holy Spirit. And, and I hear a couple human beings, right? You think that's ridiculous. And if you grew up in a small town, you, there's this brilliant scene. If you, anyone seen the nativity? Oh, such a great, such a great thing. Um, where Elizabeth is kind of sitting on the back of the cart and she comes home after she goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth or her relative. And everybody's kind of giving her the, the well, what happened while you were away look. And we think that that can't happen in the Bible, that God is just beyond those circumstances. We have to hide and suppress uh, those types of scandals uh, from the Lord. But it's not a scandal. It's a beautiful story. But we want to enter into the reality of it. It's a sober reality for her. Like, what does this do to Mary's life? Think about that. You are bearing the Savior of the world. You can't even let him go outside and play wiffle ball, right? Like, what if he, what if something happens to him? Just imagine the pressure as a parent that, <laughs> or being his brother. If you're here from a Catholic background, I'm sorry, Jesus had brothers. Just imagine trying to measure up to that. But you enter into the reality of the story. You know, your older brother's the son of God. You just, right? Some of you got, like, brilliant older siblings, so you know a little bit about what that's like. Uh, but, man, imagine if it's, if it's Jesus himself. Yikes. So, again, sober reality. Another from Luke's gospel is Simeon and Anna. And we can imagine this in our own day. These are not the Joel Osteens of the temple. They're just flocking to be near them and pick up their latest bestseller. They're nobodies. They're elderly people ministering in the temple. In the eyes of the world, I should say, they're nobodies. They're not pop. They might be all that charismatic. But as soon as Simeon sees the, the child, it's just this wonderful moment. 
God had said that he would be allowed to see the child, and sure enough, he gets to see the child. God has kept promise to me, a nobody. And Anna has the same experience. Simeon and Anna. Another one that doesn't show up on greeting cards, but is as much part of the gospel. Uh, it comes from Matthew's gospel. And that's uh, in what we call either the slaughter of innocence or the massacre of the infants. This is a dark, dark part of our history as human beings. Herod, in his paranoid zeal to wipe out this king, orders the death of every child, every male child two years and younger. That's awful. It's not a sanitized, pretty greeting card reality. So when you consider all of the circumstances that God has entered into, you think, could God possibly understand my circumstances? Does God care? Could God be expected to understand what my life is like? And I just have to say, in the conversations that I have, I know there are people in this sanctuary, people outside the sanctuary, who are just walking the road of agony. Uh, And God doesn't, he doesn't tuck that away. He doesn't conceal it. This massacre of the innocents, I think that it, it in Luke's or in Matthew's gospel, not show fulfillment of prophecy, but to honor the agony that these people have gone through. Just imagine if that was your Christmas reality, what that would bring up you if you had lost your child because of the paranoid insanity of a king. So could God be expect enter our pristine reality and and understand? For many, I have to say, tonight won't be joyful. Uh, some people are, are dealing with the agony of salvation from loved ones um, and just walking that road of heartache. And the word here tonight is that God accounts for that. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Captured, I'm going to have to say beautifully, by a Goo Goo Dolls song. But it just, it's, it's apt, I have to say, tonight's the night the world begins again. That that's exactly what the Christmas event is. That God takes this mess and he walks into it in order to redeem it. He doesn't say, okay, once you guys tidy that up, I'll, I'll come back. You know, like the, the mother-in-law who... You know what, when you get this thing cleaned up, I'm going to circle the block a couple more times and then I'll come back and, and then we have Christmas like civilized people. And hopefully nobody has a mother like that. But we, we sometimes conceive that God couldn't possibly enter these circumstances with us. That he couldn't be Emmanuel, God with us in the midst of our mess and brokenness. And like I said at the beginning, as you consider uh, these passages further, as you consider Christ's event, the advent of, of God in our world, you have to ask yourself, what does God do this? It's just backward. He needs a better PR major, right? He needs to be flashier. He needs to do things better. You know, you're certainly not going to have a child born in Bethlehem. You're definitely going to go to home, God, and we're going to set it up a couple months in advance, so it's going to be like this pay-per-view event, and then everybody's going to get to see how grand and how great you are. 
But what the kingdom is about is about reversing those expectations. Everything you thought that was important is unimportant. Everything you thought that was honorable and exalted, God's going to do the opposite. You think that God's going to work through these high-powered, wealthy, attractive, brilliant people? Nope. I'm going to go to a teenager over here. I'm going to go to an elderly barren couple over here, and this is my team. It's a joke. Which is exactly what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. Only God could be so wise. Everything that you despised, everything that you look down upon, everything that you judge, that's exactly what I'm going to use. And you know why? Because all the glory goes to him. There is not a person in this story who could say, God, you're just so lucky to have me on your team. I can't picture Mary saying that. After Zechariah is allowed to speak again, I can't imagine him coming before God and saying, you know, I'm, I'm back now. I can, I can put in some solid minutes for you here, Lord. But that's exactly the point, that all the glory goes to him. So there's the pristine vision, which is a myth. There's the sober reality. But then there's also, to my mind, a glorious invitation. Uh, this will all end tomorrow. There will be a massive flurry of wrapping paper and, and great presents. And then, at least what happens in my house is the thaw. Like, just almost nothing happens for, like, the whole next week. And I, I, I feel, at least in my mind, for those of you who have to go back to work, uh, but for those of us that get the, the overwhelming joy of vacation, there's, there's just this lull after the event. And then there's New Year's. And I think embedded in this, the message of the Bible is that we can follow God into the new year. I love how the calendar is structured. I love how we can reflect on the character of our God, and we can follow him into the new year. And the God who has experienced our reality wants to transform it. A year from now, what will be different for you if, if you follow God into 2016? Not the God of your imagination, not the God who promises to make you healthy, wealthy, and wise, but the God who uses people like Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary and nobodies to follow that God uh, into the new year and to see what, what purpose and possibility does God have for me. So that's the invitation. Um, and I invite you, as you uh, continue to worship tonight, to reflect on the character of our God. Uh, this night is what our God is all about. Uh, humble, self-lowering for the benefit of his people. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this salvation that you offer. We thank you that your ways are not our ways, that uh, you you enter in humility uh, and obscurity and that ultimately that is how you show uh, your glory to all of creation. God, empower us by your spirit to recognize that. Uh, help us to respond to you in faith and to accept this invitation into a radically different way of being in the world. We thank you for what this night represents for us. We thank you for the freedom that we have to come before you in worship. Amen.